So as we gear up for next week, the one thing that's stopping me is leaving for vacation. So today we're going to go right to communion. <laughs> no, kidding. Um, today we're going to get an actual picture of God's inclusiveness. Inclusiveness. Today a big topic with large companies and the world is diversity. Diversity. Um, looking at what my customer does and what my company does, it seems broad. And you can have different beliefs. Um, and you can look different. But the one thing is you better believe um, one of their core tenets. Um, and that's different. It's different. Um, and you have to fiercely believe that. You can believe anything you want to about what God is, what you think God is. It can be anything. But about your, your right to choose uh, some different things, it all has to be the same. But we're going to see today God in diversity. Um, and God, you're allowed to be different, different countries, different everything, but you believe the same thing. And it's amazing. It's amazing when you come across different believers, too, that may not even speak the same language, just how you are similar, how you can let your hair down. Um, I know in trips to China, it was that way, going in there and, and seeing these people that could barely speak your language, but had the same belief system. It was like you were around old friends. It was just amazing. So. We are back from the previous ending in Isaiah 55 that closed the first advent of the great, greater deliverer. Um, and also, we're back from the first advent from the Easter messages from Passion Week, Good Friday, and Easter. And as we remembered, the brutal price paid for our salvation. So this week, Isaiah is taking us right back to a familiar theme. And he's talking to the people in Jerusalem, and he's, and he's reminding them, you know, you're going to be surrounded. You're going to be defeated. You're going to be captured, and you're going to go away. And Isaiah is telling them, you know, God will be with you during all of this. So stay faithful, and this is something that the majority had not been. 55 at the end, Al left us with Jerusalem, the remnant of Jerusalem, around that great banquet table, and everything was free. Today, we're going to see the same gathered from around the world, all equal and all welcome in the house of prayer. We have seen through this book in Jerusalem when kings and noblemen forgot who they were, and they felt a threat from another country. They made security alliances with other nations, and that always fell through. Isaiah went over the shame of doing that with them, that you telling them you have received a false security. And the entire reason this country was established was to be set apart and be different from the rest of the world. They were to actually hear what God said and obey it, and visitors, outside people, were to see a different type of country, a different nation, a country obeying and worshiping their God without looking 
to the left or the right to see what was popular in that day or wonder if we do this, what will people think about us? They were not to lust after the things of the world um, or wonder, gee, what, our, what would our world be like, our country be like if we did that? They were merely to be satisfied with the awesome God. Israel was to be a place where the world took notice and saw what a difference there was. They did not need an alliance with the world because their alliance was with the creator of the world. Leviticus 26, if that's your homework, read that this week. Leviticus 26, you will see an incredible promise that they had. Incredible promise. When you read that, it's, it's if you obey, you get this. You get a land free of enemy, from, from animals that, will, that are predators, your storehouses, it could be full and they will never spoil, just everything. And then the second part goes into what will happen if you don't obey. And, and so that's a lesson for us too. We can, we can look at this as being obedient and pursuing God. This is what you will get in heaven. But for the majority of Jews, God was not the magnet, right? They weren't attracted to him. They were too attracted to the world. Um, they all wanted things. They all wanted what the world had. They wanted a gaming system like the Hethbox. That's my attempt at a joke. Heth. It's the closest Hebrew word to X. I got to work on it. I'm sorry. Um, but this will not be the case in the second advent. The faithful will, will feel this mighty attractiveness to God, to his love, and to his joy. Um, his love will be enough, and it will satisfy all of our needs. And this will be a diverse group of people there, people from all many different nations. And we see this all throughout the Bible, but especially by going through Luke, in, in my own reading, you see this. When Jesus had gone back home, right? He was around his former neighbors. And he delivered this powerful message to them, right? Powerful message. And they all basically said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we're all going to sit down and wait for the magic show, right? They thought, okay, now that he's done, we will get to see everything we've been hearing about. He'll heal some people and do all this. And we'll see this mighty axe. We'll clap. And then we'll go about our way. He had so much more in store for them, but they didn't believe. They thought they were just getting an act. And Jesus, in keeping with his father's plan, as mentioned in the Old Testament, um, and the prophets, says the following in Luke chapter 4, 24 through 27. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there was many lepers in Israel in the days of the prophet Elisha, 
and none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus is telling them that God's not going to just bow down to these people because they're the Jews. The Gentiles were being receptive. They were being obedient to God, and his people were disobedient and a stiff-necked people. And in seeing that and seeing the evidence that Jesus gave them, what was their response? Their response was the same as you saw all throughout the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament with Luke, I mean with Stephen, right? Their response was to react in anger and push Jesus to the edge in an attempt to throw him off the cliff. But it didn't work. It was not Jesus' time. He merely walked through the crowd and went on his way. So today we're going to look at this message in chapter 56, 1 through 8 of Isaiah. And we're going to do it by seeing three blessings to come. Three blessings to come. Verses 1 and 2 are going to show us the blessings yet to come. 3 through 7 are going to show us that the blessings exclude no one. And then verse 8 is the blessing yet to come. So let me read the passage. Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, who keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house, my, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for this picture. We thank you so much for the, the message you brought through the prophet Isaiah, that we can see this intended in many layers for the immediate layer and then, Jesus, just thank you that we can see you and our future all throughout here. May we never take this for granted how your plan is in this Bible and intended for us to, to learn, to study, to gain that knowledge as we continue 
to pursue righteousness with you. Amen. So verses 1 through 2, the blessings yet to come. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. So in verse 1, we see a command for the present resting on a promise for the future. This is common in the Bible. We see it in Matthew 3, 2, when John the Baptist tells the people, repent now, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So they're being called, and we're being called, to practice righteousness. And this matches Isaiah's earlier requirement we saw in 51.1, where those, it says, who live in obedience pursue God. And also in 50 verse 10, the people that fear God and already obey Him and obey the voice of His servant show that they trust and rely on Him. So, Isaiah is not inviting us to seek salvation from the coming destruction by our own acts of righteousness, but he's urging, urging those who belong to God to devote themselves to a life that reflects what God has revealed as right. So taken together, we see justice and righteousness points to God's law. In 51.1, Pursuing righteousness is parallel to seeking a closer relationship with God. In 51.7 of Isaiah, it says, Those who know righteousness have God's commandments in their inner being. Big words. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. This means that in a future event which we are working to in this section of Isaiah, talking about the coming conqueror, we're going to see what comes the fullness of his righteous character and the, full, and the fullness of his righteous ways are going to be revealed in full. And this is a blessing yet to come. It will be a work of salvation, of rescue, and deliverance for his people. Verse 2, it says, Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Verse 2 looks back to the commands of verse 1. Everyone, without exception, is to wait on God's coming with a life that is obedient to his word and imitates his character. And the word that's used here, man, it doesn't mean a nobleman, it doesn't mean a king, it means a man that is in his ordinary and in his humanity, is just a normal man with all of his weaknesses. So the ordinary man is able to keep and grab hold of all the righteousness God is offering, and this man needs to seek to please God. So this is basically showing us by the level of man mentioned here that it's open to everyone. There's no division, no ranking of classes in worshiping God. 
and everyone is to be living in obedience to him. And it says, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. This passage in verse 2 is kind of interesting when you think about what's going to happen, that these people soon would be captured and led away. They would be servants in another land for another people that did not know God and did not follow his commands. So their Sabbath would look a whole lot different if you think about it. There's no way that these people were going to take time and build these people their own little temple. They weren't going to have a place to go and meet with the rabbi on a They may not even get a seventh-day rest in this new land. So it's going to look a whole lot different. This exile was going to bring an end to many things. The city and the temple were gone. That meant service and sacrifices were all gone as well. So keeping God's Sabbath is something we could be familiar with now. It's moved to a new era and the one that we are familiar with. It meant that these people now need to keep a God-centered lifestyle, a God-centered lifestyle that would only be possible by understanding this God-centered theology. So now the successful believers in that day need to complete a total reorganization of their life and now base it off God totally, not just one day a week, and not just doing the feasts and the services and the celebrations, but reorder their life around God and ensure they keep themselves from evil. So the good part about this, they would develop a deeper knowledge of God and grow closer to Him through pursuing righteousness. Verses 3 through 7, verses 3 through 7, the blessings exclude no one. Verse 3 says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. This is something we're all familiar with, right? Human nature, we all fear rejection. Whether you're the new kid in school, the new employee, new in town, or if you just look different, this happens. Um, We know it doesn't matter what you look like or how you act, everyone feels this way. And we're surprised when we see that successful person that looks incredibly handsome or beautiful, and we find out that they deal with rejection. So it's common in humans. And, and this is not God's nature. That's the good thing. God's prerequisite is not selecting um, the citizens that are free of any blemish or free of, free of any kind of thing that might strike them down. Um, we see God's requirement in verse 1 and all throughout the Bible, right? Keep justice and do righteousness. Not... It's not our version of righteousness, it's God's version of righteousness and doing what God commands. So once you believe and you're following God, you're not marked on a different 
in a different ranking class. There's not A1 Christians or B-team Christians or, or Christians that just warm the clouds because they don't have benches. They have, um, and the good thing is no one that believes is excluded from membership in God's family. The family has no black sheep or no outlaws. Verses 4 through 5. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now, going through this this week, there's one thing I found different. I found a lot of comments uh, talking about this section, but in uh, the impending exile and whatnot. And I saw things that drove me to Deuteronomy 23, 1 through 8, talking about those that are accepted into the assembly of God and who could be there and who could not. And they talked about things like you know, in dealing with eunuchs like self-mutilation, like from pagan rituals, or maybe even something that could happen in an agricultural incident with a sharp knife or something. But my personal thought is, when you read this, and you read the time frame that it's occurring about, um, I don't think it was meant of that. I think when you look at this, it was meant for people that really love God, but they were going to find themselves in the service of the other kingdoms. They were going to be drafted for service in, in the palace of the other kings. Because it says eunuchs mentioned here, and, and I don't think this is talking about eunuchs that were decided that they wanted to make that their own personal choice to become eunuchs. Because we know by going through this, what did they do? When, when you, it's a long practice that happened in this, in this time period and even before. When you conquered a land, you took the best and brightest and you wanted to make them your own and put them in your service, right? So you performed this act and made them a eunuch. That meant that they were going to be like bonded to your family. They would have their own, they would have their, not have their own family. They also felt that it quieted that person and made them just more focused on their job and also kept them from polluting the kingdom in the, in the royal palace. So these young, young men who would live and work in, in the palace grounds, this would be what would happen to them. The king's leadership would alter these young men, so they would be sure not to fraternize with the king's many concubines or have that male driving force to, to lead and maybe take over. And I come to that because even reading when we got to, when King Hezekiah was in charge, he was warned, right? He was warned in Isaiah chapter 39 that because of his disobedience, in showing Babylon everything in the kingdom, that soon they would come and haul them away and some of his own sons would be made eunuchs in Babylon. 
And I find it interesting that didn't bother him. You know, he was surrounded by Assyria that bothered him, and he drove him to prayer. He was ill with a life-threatening illness that drove him to prayer. Hearing that hundreds of years later, your sons would, might be eunuchs didn't bother him. He was glad there was only peace in his lifetime. I'm sure those guys had words with him when they got to heaven. And we, what we see is we see in Daniel and his friends, his cohorts, they were this way. They were exiled after this passage. So I really believe, and knowing how faithful Daniel was to God, that this passage may have provided comfort for him to where he was at and where he was living, that he knew he was acceptable before God. We also see this in Acts 8.26. We see it when Philip interacts with the Ethiopian eunuch. This man was no slave, right? He was in charge of the queen's treasure, and therefore he had high ranking in that kingdom. And so he was there in Jerusalem. He, he didn't have guards around him. He was in his own chariot, a, a high social standing. And he was in, he had been to the temple, and now he was in his chariot reading. And what was he reading? He was reading the fourth servant song. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was there and he was accepted by God, and he met both requirements of this section, right? He was a foreigner that was accepted, and he was a eunuch that's accepted. And why was this? Why was he accepted? He, along with the others, were chosen by God. And he also chose to know God's word once he was, and sought to please God. Therefore, read the scriptures and came to worship course we see that he was trying to study the scriptures and understand deeper what pleased God and the Holy Spirit brought Philip right to him. So he may have been shut out at some parts of the temple because he was a foreigner when he went but the great thing we see in this he will not be shut out of heaven. God says he will give in his house and within his walls and monument, a name that is better than sons and daughters. They will give us an everlasting name, and it shall not be cut off. And we think some of the background of this may have been in Second Samuel 18.18. One of King David's sons, Absalom, who had no children, sought to immortalize himself by putting a monument in the land so it would say his name forever like a, like a just, you always go by and see the name Absalom, even though he had no offspring. And God is saying not only is the eunuch welcome in his house, but he is welcome inside his house, and he's just not to linger on the outsides, he's to come in and welcome into the very presence of God. For all times he's welcome. So think about this. The blessing is always being before God. And it can't be forfeited in any other way. So this is the saying is the blessing cannot be cut off. 
God says at the end of verse 5, and I will give them an everlasting name. How awesome. So that's why I really believe that was meant to comfort the hundreds or maybe even thousands of, of people that went away to serve in another land and were altered. So this depicts giving God as people, as individuals, this blessing. And we see that no one, no one is just lumped in and, and said, okay, you get the blessing and they're your entourage. It's individual. And we see this in Revelation in chapter 2, right? God gives each believer in heaven a white stone, symbolizing back in, in the time of the, the Roman era, it's like a winner's ticket. So if you won an event, you got like a white stone that was your entry into all the parties to whatnot. And here we see this white stone. God is going to give it to you, and it's going to have your special name on it that no one else can see. Individual gift to you from God. Verses 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offering and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. God returns to the foreigner, and like he did in verse 3, he's showing us that foreigners will be joined to him. They're not captives in the land. They are here joyfully, and they are ministering to him. And it says, being his servants, this is very descriptive, this language of the Levites in Isaiah's day. And this is a look to the near end that's coming. That We see it in 66.21, where God says he will take some of the nations, people from other nations, to serve as his priests and Levites. These people, these people came only because of their love of God. That's why they're there. It shows us they are not in heaven because it was the popular thing to do because their friends wanted to go um, and thought, hey, it might be cool to be in heaven. Well, it'll be a lot cooler than the alternative. But these people will be there because they all received the truth of God and had no choice but to fall in love and then seek this righteousness. And in his house, this is really precious because it means we are all family at this point. And on his altar means our offerings and sacrifices are guaranteed accepted along with our fellowship with God. And my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This looks different here than we saw it during Passion Week, right? Then Jesus was using that phrase as he was whipping the flea market people and getting them out of, out of God's temple, right? But here, 
God is looking back to verses 3 and 7 and the welcome given to all peoples, whether foreigners or whether eunuchs. Um, and it's not a concession, but it's a wonderful fulfillment of God's written plan all these years ago, and it was always in his plan. God's house was always meant to be a house open to all people, despite what the Pharisees and the scribes did in their own rules. And the essential element in the house was always God. So imagine, we will get to be there with him, in his presence, and we will get to fellowship with him. May we never take that for granted. May we remember it daily. Verse 8, the blessings yet to come. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him, besides those already gathered. Verse 8 gives us that direct message, right? God says, basically, Isaiah, you're done. I'm going to talk exclusively here. And he stays true to his form. And we have that same order that we see like in 49.6. God calls Israel, and then he calls the nations. He will first scatter, gather the scattered ones of Israel. And that's quite possible, that chosen remnant that is in other parts of the world. And yet, praise God, he will gather yet others. And then praise him because he chose us in those yet others. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, may we never take this for granted. May we remember your promises all throughout the Bible. The promises and the commands, Father. May we strive to grow stronger in them in our daily life. May it be our way of, of growing in knowledge of you and what pleases you, because that is our sole purpose. May we remember this always, and we thank you so much for this book, and we thank you for this last section that promises Jesus as our conquering hero. Amen.